Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I'm Kim Grinnells at Dogman.com with Chris Vatter, Scott Eckland. I am in the visitor's coach's box high above the, the field in Houston, Texas, at about the 50-yard line where Washington was defeated in the national championship game by Michigan, 34-13 to 13 in front of an announced crowd of 72,808. I know it's hard. I know it sucks, but, uh, you know, they left it all out there on the field, guys. It's just those guys are trashed at the end of the game. Yeah, they were battered and bruised for sure. Yeah, they got they got beat up by the better team tonight. Well, I mean, Michigan, a lot of people thought that Michigan was the number one team going into the season. And they really proved it, I think, tonight that they were definitely the number one team in the country. Yeah, pretty electric atmosphere here pregame. The crowd arrived early. I don't know if that had to do as much with the weather. It was blowing. It was raining. We got on tornado watch. And, hey, Chris, we'd been there, done that in Texas before. Oh, yeah. After the, what was it, the Heart of Dallas Bowl or whatever, the, the game that they played against uh, Southern Mississippi at the Cotton Bowl, we, we actually got uh, sheltered down in the basement of one of the rooms in the Cotton Bowl because it was – thunderstorms and thunder lightning and then they actually allowed us to go up to the concourse and it was raining harder than i think i've ever seen it rain before or since it was absolutely unreal so when they do things bigger in texas it's no joke they really do yeah and then on uh, on top of that um post game they were encouraging fans to stay in the seats because there was lightning strikes outside yeah, no, it's 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 you know, it's a it weather when weather decides to get crazy, man, it gets really crazy. And the thing about being there too is that there's not a lot of shelter, there's not a lot of trees, there's not it's very flat. There's not a lot of places where you can go and and really feel like you're going to be safe. I know both of you guys know Bart Fulmer and a lot of people who know Bart Fulmer. He's the equipment manager. Has been here since the Don James year. He's we always joke we're on our eighth head coach. He's on his ninth because he was here for so long with uh, DJ. But I looked at him post game. I said, "Tornado watch, really?" And he just, you know how Bart is. He just gave me that look. He goes, "I don't ever want to come back to Texas." <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's yeah. I, I clearly it's not preferred. I mean, I think obviously everyone when Washington got their shot to play in this playoff, everyone was really hoping they were going to be able to play in the Rose Bowl, even if that meant that they might have to be the four seed, because there was a lot of people out there that thought they had a legitimate case to be the number one seed. But in the yeah. end, I don't think the, the playoff committee could be, you know, 
faulted at all. I think they got it absolutely right, even with all the criticisms of Florida State and everything else, because I, I think they made a mistake with Florida State. But in the end, they got vindicated. Yeah, just you know, wild again. Everybody was in the stadium early. Um, I saw the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Regardless, Steve Entman was on the sidelines, and he is still just a mountain of a man. Um, he's just gigantic. So it was good seeing Steve Entman. Lincoln Kennedy was here. And Steve Entman looks bigger than Lincoln Kennedy, if you can imagine that. Lincoln looks like he's trimmed down a little bit, but Steve is still just mammoth. Um, Buda Baker was here. Ben Burkirvin was here. Uh, a lot of former players just down on the sidelines. Just there's a lot of people on the sidelines. I've never seen so much media. Um, of course, it's a national championship game, but there was just a ton of media down here. But uh, great stadium. Also, uh, they had a final four here not too long ago. Spectacular stadium. The concourses are really cool. Sightlines for everywhere, even up high where I am in the press box, which is way up high. These are still great. You know, still a great seat and a great setting. So. Um, and I'm going to give props to the Sugar Bowl staff because that Sugar Bowl staff, compared to what was going on here, that Sugar Bowl staff had it dialed in. They spoiled us. So a little bit more difficult navigating down here. And in New Orleans, everything was pretty compact and local. This is pretty spread out down here in Houston. So, uh, you know, again, kudos to that Sugar Bowl staff. They got things dialed in. So not that it was bad here, but, uh, boy, nowhere near as much communication. So we got spoiled a little bit. So Hey, Kim, hey Kim I wanted to know real quick, because based on social networks, I mean, if you really follow a lot of the former players and not just players, football players, but basketball players, players of some of the other sports, I mean, you got the sense that there was just a massive rally for of Washington fans and supporters. And I was kind of wondering with all the stuff that happened with Alaska Airlines and them having to delay flights and cancel flights and everything else. What was in your mind, what was kind of the percentage of of Washington fans to Michigan fans? Because it certainly at least vocally, I don't know about Scott, but at least on the audio, it, it felt like Washington fans really showed up. It was probably 65, 35. The Michigan fans um, really, really showed up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, let me just read you a uh, text from a guy I got early this morning. It says, uh, well, I can't find it. Basically, they got stuck in they got stuck in Tampa because the airport here got closed down on and off this morning because of the weather and the lightning strikes. And there was a lot of people panicking whether they were going to be able to make it. But evidently, you know, the, my buddy who was in Tampa and he's on his way here, the flight was just full of, um, you know, fans of both teams. Can you imagine being on a flight trying to get here and the airport closed down? I mean, I got the sense that when we were on the game day board, I got the sense that there were some people that were even doing some Wi-Fi stuff like on their flights trying to get into Houston, like mid-flight, that weren't being allowed to go down into IAH or other Houston airports because of the wind and because of the storm. Yeah, no, so kind of crazy, like I said, you know, reminiscent of that, you know, Heart of Dallas Bowl that we did back in the day against Mississippi State. You know, we'd been here before, you know, we've been to the Alamo Bowl a couple of times, and those were both great, but uh, Dallas and Houston is just, I mean, I woke up this morning, and I saw the rain outside, and I saw the wind, and, you know, yes, you know, when we did the podcast, the motorcycles going by, I don't know if you guys could hear that, but it was pretty crazy, so it's been pretty crazy down here. Houston's an interesting city. I've never been here before. It's huge, and it is spread out, so... 
again, you know, the you know, big props to the Michigan fans. They were loud, you know, and they were represented well and they drowned out Washington fans quite a bit. So what uh what did I say? Seventy seventy eight thousand? Seventy eight, but yeah. Yeah, I'd say it was probably forty five thousand of those were Michigan fans, maybe even fifty thousand. You know, that was it was quite a bit more Michigan fans here. So but you gotta, they have the largest alumni base yeah, in the they country. Got, yeah, they do, you know, and they're spread out everywhere. So yeah, it's just it's just a tough loss and you know, just let, let's hop into the game. You know, Washington won the won the uh, coin toss and deferred. You know, Michigan didn't take long. I mean, they just carved Washington up on the ground. I don't even want to call it carving them up on the ground. I just want to say they ran right through them. <laughs> I mean, it was I mean, the two runs by Edwards. I mean, one of them, he wasn't even touched. I mean, he just made one move and he was gone. And it was that was uh, Husky linebackers just making the wrong reads, going to the wrong gap and open things wide open for Donovan Edwards on the 46 yarder. And on the first one, looked like he had um, been kind of plugged up. The defensive line did a good job, but there was no one flowing to the ball. And so he was able to bounce it out and just outrun the Husky defense again. And as I, I think Washington's got good speed on the defense, but they don't have anyone with elite speed. And that really hurt them because Edwards, once he got into the open field, there was no one catching him. Yeah, you know, and then they had a second long run as well. The 59-yarder by Corum? Yeah. Yeah, and that that was another The second Edwards Edwards touchdown is the one you're talking about, um, Scott. And and really, and trust me, guys, you know me. I'm I'm not in the mood to try to single a player out and really hang him out to dry. But there there was one of the linebackers that was there that clearly – was trying to do someone else's job instead of his, just his own job and sticking to his own task. And by vacating that space, you talked about it, Scott, he just went untouched. And it's just, it's those kinds of things in that kind of moment on the biggest stage, it, it just reinforces the opinion of all the things that people were talking about in terms of Michigan being able to draw first blood, to be able to just run the ball at will anytime they wanted to. And those first two scoring drives for Michigan I mean, it was too script. I mean, it was exactly how the Michigan fans or Michigan, how everybody at Michigan would have drawn it up. Yeah, it just looked like the Washington defense was just kind of out of sync. And after those two uh, long runs, they settled down for quite a while until the fourth. Well, there was there were three long runs. There were the two long run touchdown runs by Edwards and then the long one by Ed um, Corum that set up their field goal. But other than that, Washington was able to do quite a bit for the final three quarters. Yeah, it just I don't think that the moment was too big for these guys. I just think it no. took a little bit for them to settle down and get used to that's a really good Michigan team. I mean, I just think it took a while for them to adjust to the talent that was on the other side of the ball. You know, Blake Corum was a real physical runner and um, you know, their offensive line is is really good, but those those two quick scores by Michigan just put them really behind the eight ball. Oh, it absolutely did. And but I mean, for the final for the middle two quarters, Washington essentially played Michigan toe to toe. The problem was their offense just wasn't able to get get anything going. You know, they were they were only able to get that one touchdown drive at the end of the first half and had that momentum. And then the the interception by Penix on was just a momentum killer. and, And it's my turning point of the game. 
that I put up because you don't have that interception. It's Washington's able to to go down, and even if they just kick a field goal, um, the momentum is still on their side. But it just took the wind out of Washington's sails. It put uh, Michigan in scoring position immediately. They ended up um, being held by the defense, so they only scored a, a field goal, but it, it really just took the wind out of Washington's sails. And I think from then on, Washington just felt like this isn't our night and we're going to have to play way better. And they were pressing and it just didn't work. Yeah, Washington, you know, you know, pulled within seven going into the half with a with a late score and getting the ball back in the second half I thought you know they would have the momentum it looked like Michael was trying to throw the ball away and just didn't get it out there enough well it yeah was a, well he was hit yeah. yeah it was a combination of getting hit and the ball getting tipped I mean and and also it was friendly fire from Parker Burlesford unfortunately who stepped on Mike and he would never have known I mean as you know he's trying to pass block but that the kind of the confluence of all that stuff forced it. And even and even with all that, Tybo Rogers makes a hell of a play to knock the ball out of uh, I think it was John Will Johnson. Yeah, Will Johnson, pick, right? Yep. So yep. I mean he knocks the ball out of Johnson's hand and he still is able to pick it, it get the pick on the second try. I mean, it was an unbelievable play. So Tybo makes a great play, but Johnson makes an even better play. And that really I agree hundred percent with Scott. That was to me, that was the big turning point in the game because Washington it wasn't like it was like a huge momentum shift, guys, but they were slowly building themselves back into it. And they they talk about that middle eight. Well, they won the last four minutes of that first half. And it was like, OK, we get the ball coming back. We're going to if we get in score now, all of a sudden the game's tied. It's a whole new game. And all that got completely undone on that one play. Yeah, didn't see the replay of the interception. I thought that that might be under review, but uh, no, it, no was it was clean. clean. It, it was clean. clean. Yeah. Yeah, okay. complete. It, it, I mean, honestly, on the just watching it in real time, I was like, no way did he catch that. He and did. then you watch the replay and it's I mean, he he does a really good job of getting his left arm right under that ball when it bounced out and he hauled it in before. I was like, how did he not even go out of bounds? Yeah, you know, that was I the mean, crazy part. yeah, I just I don't know how he did it. He he made a great play on the ball, and there's a reason that guy is probably going to be a number one draft, you know, an early first round draft choice. And honestly, I think the other big reason why that was the turning point of the game, Scott, is that I think physically, um, Mike just wasn't in it the rest of the game. I mean, he was always mm-hmm. going to be affected. And then the more that free rushers came, and the more he got hit, even though he wasn't getting sacked, the more he was getting hit, it just compounded and compounded and compounded the problems. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, Washington came back, you know, is it was a tight game in the third quarter. You know, they stayed within seven. There were a couple of plays that if they would have made, and I don't know if it was it the third quarter, it sure looked like Washington punting on third and four and Michigan trying to run a guy off the field. And, boy, it sure looked like he didn't get off the field. You mean four, fourth and four, fourth down. Right? It was on yeah, the punt. Fourth. And well, they yeah. did not. They did not get the guy off. It should have been five-yard penalty and given it's to Washington. Something I saw on the boards, guys, is that someone went back and looked, and they're saying that Michigan miscounted. So they actually had 11 guys in the field, and they had a guy trying to oh. run. He didn't have to. Oh. So, but go – I mean, I, I'd have to go back and look at it. This is – we're all doing this. This is a first run for us. So I haven't – I have not gone yeah. back and seen the replay, but that's what people were talking about on the boards. Yeah, we'll have to take we'll have to go back and take a look at that because I was right there and watching the guy and he was in a mad sprint trying to get off the field and he <coughs> excuse me he didn't get off the field but the other huge play 
was um, I think it was right before that uh, punt, uh, Will Nixon dropping a third down pass. It would have been for a first down easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that hurt. Um, there was also the holding call on Rosengarten, which was the correct call. I know people said it wasn't the right, correct call. No, it was a correct call. They just should have been calling that on Michigan all night, too, and they didn't. And so I get why people are upset that they called that on because it really wasn't that much of a hold. It was a hold, but it wasn't that much of one. But that negated, what, a 37-yard catch? I think I heard yeah. 32, but, yeah, 32, it, it was yeah. it was the biggest one, biggest play of the night by far to Odunze. And it really kind of – it really To that uh, point, under, at least, yeah. It underscores just how – uh, effective Michigan was in completely, almost completely eliminating Washington's deep game, which no one's really done all year long except for maybe ASU. And so, you know, I don't know if they literally took the playbook out of the Arizona State defense, but, you know, they they muddied the pictures up for Penix quite a bit. And even when they were only rushing four guys, you know, they were doing yeah. it in such a way where there were still free runners coming. And like I said, I – I was on the board. I said, I give all credit to Jesse Mentor. I mean, his scheming and his game plan going into this game was phenomenal because his guys were able to execute it. And it felt like even when they weren't blitzing, it felt like they had free rushers coming on almost every pass. Yeah, the the drop by Nixon, it just seemed like they couldn't recover after that. I mean, that just seemed to be... It, it was not late in the game, but they just really couldn't get anything going after that. The hard, the hard part about that play, guys, and I, and I agree 100%. You can't, you got to make that play. And Will Nixon, we know he's a great receiver. You know, he makes that play typically 10 out of 10 times. Problem with that is, is that that play at that moment in the game, the margins are so fine for Washington that they had to execute basically perfectly to get back into that game. And any thing that they did to, you know, cause problems on themselves or not take advantage of opportunities when given those opportunities, it just felt like it, it, it just added a whole nother layer of, okay, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. What are we going to do? How are we going to get the ball back? All these things. And it just never felt like that snowball was getting any, any smaller. It just felt like it was kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there was nothing they can do to stop that thing going downhill. Hey, Chris, I don't know if they keep track of it on Pro Football Focus. You're the one who tends to look at that a little bit more than me. But do they list missed tackles in games? I don't think so, but I think it's usually factored into the overall grade. So, you know, based on what their grades are going to be, you know, a lot of people will go, okay, because they do have a specific tackling grade. So you can look at that and kind of infer how their night was in terms of tackling. So there's there's that, but I don't I don't know if they actually count up missed tackles if that's what you're asking. Did Michigan miss a tackle today? Uh yeah, uh, well, it, they missed it, the it, Tybo. They Tybo Rogers got a great first down on a, a where he was able to kind of first drive, yeah. Very first drive, yeah. And that and that was a situation where losing Dylan Johnson looked like it was going to be really difficult for Washington to overcome and at the end it really did. But at that moment, it was like, oh, they're bringing in Tybo Rogers. They're bringing in Will Nixon early. It must be an issue. And as we found out later, Dylan Johnson was getting looked at, whether it was to get retaped or what have you. But for Tybo to do that and get that first down, it was like, oh, okay, they're in the game. They can figure this thing out. They're going to have to do it probably with other people, but they're in the game. And you know, just, that, that might have been the only one. 
Yeah, it just looked like that was one of the best tackling teams I've seen in a long time. They just didn't seem to miss tackles. Nope. And there there are a couple plays where Jalen McMillan probably against every other team that Washington has played, he probably breaks free for a couple nice gains and he just couldn't get away uh from the guy that was that was making the tackle. They they're yep. a really good tackling team. I know a lot of people are gonna say, Well, Washington couldn't do this and they couldn't do that and they weren't able to do this and they didn't do that, but you know, it's like Lorenzo Romar always used to say, you know, those other guys are on scholarship and they practice, too. It was a really good. That was a really good team. And I'm going to find it hard to criticize University of Washington for this game. It's just I think a lot of credit goes to Michigan. They're just that good. They deserved it. Well, they're they're the number one defense in the country for a reason. They showed it tonight for sure. But like I said, I I give credit to not only their players for executing the game plan, but for the game plan, too, because, you know, Michael Penix Jr. arguably had the best night of his entire life a week ago. And basically everyone was saying, well, Michigan is basically Texas's defense, but with better corners. I didn't see that tonight. I did not see a better secondary. What I saw was a defensive line and a front seven that was 10 times better than Texas. And I think a lot of that had to do with scheming and bringing rushers and free rushers that confused Penix and didn't give him a chance to get set and really get into a groove almost all night. And I mean, think, talk, let's let's talk about that Penix pass where he had a chance. I think was it on fourth down where he got Roma Dunze downfield. It would have been a big hit early, and it would yeah. have kept him right in the game. I think it was was it fourteen to three at the time. Yeah, what would the nothing? complexion of the game look like? You it know, it was 14, fourteen yeah, to three. Could have changed everything. And he just Penix just never got set to the point where he was like, I can just put this up, and Rome's going to go get it. He put a bunch of zip on it. He thought he had to get it there quickly. And Rome was never able to really recover downfield and get to where he needed to get to make the catch. It was little things like that that ended up really costing Washington in the long run. But I, like Kim says, I give as much credit to Michigan for what they were able to do to confuse Penix and get him off his spot and get him off his game than Mike just having a poor night because it was certainly a little bit of both. Yeah, it's just, you know, I was in the end zone probably for half the game and uh, in, you know, on both sides. And what I was seeing was there wasn't a lot of wide receivers that were open downfield. And Mike was checking down quite a bit with those short passes because I just saw corners really trailing and covering, you know, hip to hip with the Washington wide receivers downfield. And, you know, I don't think it was part of the game plan to have that many short passes. I just think they couldn't get downfield with the uh, game plan that Michigan had. Kim, I think yeah. it's also I think it's also telling. Sorry, Scott, I'll let you go. But I thought it was also really telling that even on some of the third and long situations, like when Washington got behind the ball, whether it was a with that like sack or whether it was you know false start penalties or tackles for loss or whatever it was when they got behind the ball, you noticed that even when they were checking down, they were checking down on like third and fifteens, third and twenties. Yeah. They, he really wasn't even looking down to the to the third level. He was just checking down to try to maybe do something positive. And it felt like they were searching in that way almost all night long. Uh, well, you got you also got to remember, I want to go back to the point about Chris's point about <clears throat> the Michigan uh, front front seven and how they dominated. Look what they did to Alabama last week. Yeah, I mean. And Alabama arguably has, from a talent standpoint, if you just look at stars, way more stars along their offensive line than what Washington has. And so for Washington to only give up what they gave up one sack, right? I think that's what yeah. they got credit for. Yeah. Yeah. One credit, one, one sack on the night. 
Penix was pressured, but they still were able to do things down the field, throw the ball down the field and, and make some plays. I mean, he threw for 255 yards. I don't know what Jalen Milrow did last week, but he didn't do anything like that. So Washington, while, while they made plenty of mistakes, and, and I think if Washington plays a perfect game, they probably win this game, because, especially in that, you know, they had the chance to, you know, take and snatch that momentum and they just weren't able to do anything with it. And then they had the two turnovers. Those two turnovers were just absolutely costly, turned it in 10 points and they ended up winning, losing by 20, 21 points. So um, or 20, what, 22 yeah. points, whatever it was anyway, 21, um, 21. 21 points. And, um, you know, I, I just I just think that um, as good as uh, Michigan's. Uh, as good as Washington's offensive line is, they just couldn't handle what Michigan was throwing at them. All those guys are going to play on Sundays, especially the, the interior guys. Those guys were that is it was it Chris Jenkins is just ridiculous. And what what's the other guy? The 340 well, pounder. Graham Graham yeah. is the other guy, and he's like apparently he's a true sophomore. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, they yeah. were playing like guys that are getting ready for the league, and he's not even eligible. So Kim, I don't I don't want to jump ahead real quick. But I do want to point out something because I know you're going to, you know, break down the individual stats and what have you. Do you guys realize that they were three for 24 combined, both teams, on third down? Well, that was the big thing. I, I said before the game that Washington's key to winning this game was to limit and, you know, control Michigan on third down because Washington's not been great on that. They were, I think it was 81st in the country in allowing third down conversions. And Michigan was only one of 10. Uh-huh. 10 on third down and Washington was two of 14. But what that also tells you, they must have been really good on second down. Yeah. yeah. Because they weren't, you know, 10, 10 times, especially when they ran a total. Well, they only ran a total of 57 plays. So when you talk about clock and everything else, Washington won the time of possession, but they only won it by like 30 seconds. So that was pretty much dead even. You talk about winning the battle of the third down. Neither team did very well at all on third down. You look at the total plays. Washington had 71 plays and Michigan had 57. You would have thought, wow, okay, this must have been yeah. an absolute titanic bloodbath because right. both teams are, are basically not getting a lot done on third down. It must have been a punt fest. Well, yeah, you take a look at the total yards. Um, Washington had 71 plays, but they only had 303 yards uh, total yards. Michigan only 57 plays, but had 443. And then that third down number again, Washington was only two of 14, but Michigan was only one of 10. Uh, D Dylan Johnson, he was obviously hurt. I posted the picture pregame up on, you know, the video up on pregame and he was heavily, heavily, heavily wrapped and had a knee brace on. But, you know, here's some numbers that really jump out at me, Chris, because when you, t I think it was the number, tell me if I'm wrong, but last week against Texas, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, and Romo Odunze had um, 19, excuse me, 20 targets with 19 receptions. Is that correct? Yep. yep, yep. And both Polk and Odunze had over 120 yards catching each. Okay, well, take a look at these stats. J-Mac was targeted 11 times, but only six receptions for a total of 33 yards. That's a huge number. Romo Odunze, he was targeted nine times, only five receptions for 87. Jack Westover, seven uh, reception, seven targets for five receptions of 42 yards. And when you take a look at those numbers compared to where they were a week ago, I, that pretty much tells the story of the game right there. They were unable to get completions tonight. 
Yeah, well, and that was because of that defensive front seven, not necessarily the great coverage. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think so. To get to have those three guys targeted 30 times for only 15 catches, they only caught half their targets. That's yeah, that's not a Washington successful Washington game plan by any stretch. Yeah, no, Michael Penix, by the way, 27 of 51 for uh, 255, one touchdown, long of 44, you know, and he was sacked one times, but 27 of 51 is not Michael Penix either. I thought that Michael would throw the ball 50 times tonight, especially with Dylan Johnson hurt. Yeah, I mean, you you would have thought that they would have tried to create a lot more um, with their short and intermediate passing game, and I thought they were successful to the most part trying to do that. It was those dump downs like on third and when they were behind the sticks quite a bit, that was interesting because that all, it didn't necessarily feel like a give up, which I I'm sure fans will, will call them give up plays, but it just, it, it just kind of underscored again, like you were saying, Kim, that they, they just couldn't find anything down the field. They were, they were only rushing four. they were cover seven. They were just kind of muddying the pictures up and not giving Penix a, a straight look. And then on top of it, when they could get to Penix, with four guys, knock him down. He's never going to feel comfortable. He, they, Washington's offense was chasing ghosts all night long, and I completely credit uh, Jesse Minter in that front seven for doing that very early on to to kind of get Penix second guessing what he was trying to to, to do out there and what he was looking at. And Scott, you know Courtney Morgan pretty well, and he was at Michigan, and he has his blueprints all over that Michigan team, and. Kalen DeBoer's got a blueprint, but I think Courtney Morgan has a blueprint uh, as well because that's what Courtney wants to do here. You mean what he did at Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he he might, but but, um, I don't know if if, uh, Kalen DeBoer's vision for his blueprint is the same. You know, I I think he wants to do a lot of the same things and get a lot of the same players, but – if Washington isn't going to be willing to go out and get in bidding wars for, for high schoolers, then I just don't see them being able to get those guys. You're going to have to get them from a portal. So, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there.
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Yeah, talk a little bit about you guys. I'm sure you saw the couple of videos that we've seen of Michael Penix walking off the field, emotionally spent and battered and bruised, and basically Michael's beat up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was holding yeah. his. Was it his ribs? His right ribs? He was holding his ribs during during the game during the fourth quarter. Yeah. And then again, like I said, he got stepped on on that very first play in the third quarter. Um, I don't know if that directly impacted the pick because, like you said, Scott, I think he was trying to throw the ball, and so. That may have impacted it as well as getting tipped, but yeah, the, the, that first play or the, that first series of the third quarter affected everything with Penix going forward, and it was just difficult because when they were trying to get in, and I, I'm sure Ryan Grubb was trying to look downfield and trying to find shots when he could, but every time he tried to do that, he was opening up Penix to getting hit, if not you know outright sacked or what have you, and you know Michigan certainly took advantage of that fact. Yeah, uh, Penix was also, he was holding his right uh, right hand, right wrist. It looked like he hurt that uh, late in the fourth quarter. There were some people on the sidelines yelling, get him out of there, but Michael wasn't coming out. Scott, no, I, come I, on. He's not coming out. Give me a break. No, well, the, score, the score was pretty much, I mean, the game was pretty much decided. but I know it was decided, but there's no way Michael Penix is coming out of that game. No. And like I said, you know, he was emotionally spent coming out and, you know, he was pretty beat up um, as well. Um, you know, Tuli Latula Gasanoa was limping pretty heavily. And he said, you know, the last time he was healthy was the first game. And Jack Westover with a partially torn uh, calf muscle and he had a big brace on his knee as well. So, you know, I think that probably the thing that these guys need more than anything, they probably need some sleep, <laughs> a sauna. An ice, ice bath and yeah. a beer. And well, a beer. I'll tell you what. You you mentioned Jack Westover with a uh, partially torn calf. How about him tracking down uh, Sandra still on that 81-yard uh, interception return? Uh, right. Just, that's a beast. That's that, a that beast. is amazing to me. I, I was impressed that he even made it down there not even knowing that he had a torn calf. I knew he was dinged up and not healthy, but – um, the fact that he was able to track that down was pretty impressive. Going into the locker room post game, um, it's not something you look forward to because you know what it's going to be like. But um, credit to this team, I told everybody that I talked to, can I get a couple minutes? And it's okay to say no. It's okay to tell me no. And not one player said no. They all gave me all the time I needed. Jalen Polk was pretty visibly upset. Um, you know, Mish Powell was upset. Jack Westover, you could hear the crackling in his voice uh, before we went in. Uh, Michael Penix and uh, Eddie came out to go up on the podium first in the um, in the big room. And Michael Penix walked over and shake, shook my hand. And you know how Michael can be. So that was kind of uh, a little bit surprising. That You know, I, I just thought he was just, you know, toast. And Eddie Ulofosio did the same thing. And there's some real classy guys on this team. You know, Romu Dunze is as good as we've ever seen. Jack Westover is as good. Braylon Trice. They've just got some tremendous. I mean, Scott, you've been around these guys. Hell, you were covering them when they were being recruited. There's some amazing yep on this team great kids great personalities come from most of them come from just 
A plus families, you know, it, it's just, it's really sad to see it come to an end the way it did. But, um, you know, I, I, I agree with what Chris said, the better team won tonight. And I think, you know, if these teams played 10 times, maybe Washington wins a few, but I think overall, if this, these teams played 10 times, Michigan would win more than they would lose. And I, I just think in the long run, Washington just wasn't able to hang with them up front. Um, their, their defensive line was way too physical and, and, um, Washington held up okay, but not great. And, hey Scott, I, I was going to say real quick, did you catch, um, DeBoer's comments to Molly McGrath after the game when they caught him in the tunnel? Did you I did, I did not know. Huh? Okay. Cause he was visibly emotional. Um, I know he was upset coming off the field. You could see it pretty plainly. And he, he basically just said that th- this is a difficult pill for them to swallow because of, this is absolutely not what they expected, not how they thought the game was going to go for them. But, you know, when you see him talk about the players and talk about the what they've been able to build in the last couple of years, you can tell that the foundation's led. And, and he said himself that the, the one thing that these guys all need to take with them, you know, whether it takes a day to, to overcome it or a week or whatever – is that they brought they brought Washington football back. They brought Washington football back, and that's the biggest thing he wants them to remember because this one's going to sting for a bit, and, and it should. Yeah, also just post-game, a lot of guys that were anticipating um, declaring for the NFL draft, but uh, unlike what Greg Gaines told you a few, you know, back in the day that he was coming back, um, it didn't really get too get any of that from any of the guys in the locker room. You know, a lot of those guys say that, you know, they've got their decisions to make and Jalen McMillan said in the next couple of days. So I'm expecting, I'm expecting actually a busy week. I'm expecting some NFL defections. I'm expecting some transfer portal stuff. Um, yeah. Now one thing, I don't know if people know this Washington and Michigan players get until the 15th, right? Chris, that's that right. It is? So they have a, they have a week. Yeah. Full week from this game to make their announcement and still be eligible for um, to play this year. Um, and yeah, well, that's, uh, that's assuming that's assuming they haven't already done it. And just well, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. It. I get, I yeah. get all that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying they, they have that opportunity to still leave. You know, a lot of people thought that, you know, well, this really screws Washington players, you know, that cause the window closes on the second, but Texas and Alabama got an extra five days in Washington and uh, Michigan get another t- seven days on top of that. So um, the 15th is, I, I believe it's the 15th. If it's not the 15th, it's the 14th. And uh, so, yes, Kim, I, I agree with you. We're going to see a very, and I think the 15th is when they have to declare for the draft, right? So, yes. yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a very busy week as far as ro- roster management for the University of Washington. Yeah, uh, you know, tough loss, but. Not all is bad news. Good news early this morning, Scott. Yeah, they got uh, Zadrius Rainey-Soleil, a linebacker prospect from uh, Bethel High School. He's a top in-state player. Last time Washington got the top in-state player was Sam Heward um, when he uh, committed to Washington. And, and since then, things have been kind of dry for Washington on the on the local front. Um you know, uh, Brandon Huffman thinks he could become an edge. The scary thing is the kid is only just barely turned 16 in November. So when he's a when he graduates from high school, he'll still be 17. He won't turn 18 until November of his true freshman season at the so, University of Washington. So well, he'll be the same age as Austin Mack. Uh, no, he will not. You mean Austin Mack when he showed up? 
<laughs> no, Austin's only 17. No, he's 18. He turned 18 in the summer. He would still be – he wouldn't turn 17 until November, whereas Austin okay. Mack, even if he was – he is not 17 now. No. Okay. Uh, also, give give us a little bit of a scouting report on him, Scott. Uh, great edge guy. Uh, can play pretty much anywhere. He can play linebacker. He can play edge. But uh, Brandon Huffman thinks he's just going to keep growing because I think he's six three, about two twenty right now. Um, as a as a sixteen year old, and so you know you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be, you know, six four, maybe two twenty five. Oh, I'm sorry, maybe like 235, 240 when he graduates. And um, if he keeps growing, he's a, he looks like a really good edge rusher and uh, somebody who could who could be a difference maker for Washington along the defensive front. I don't know who kept track of it, but I sent you guys, and I can't remember off the top of my head, I sent you uh, all the guys that were here, the new guys. Uh, do you guys remember who they were? Uh, Peyton Waters, uh, Demarcius um, Davis. The quarterback, um, the quarterback, uh, Decker yeah. DeGraff, um, Jason uh, Robinson. Yeah. Jason Robinson, Kamari house, Kamari house, the linebacker. And then you had all four of the, um, transfer guys. So Will Rogers, Ethan Barr, Drew as a party. And I'm trying to remember the other one, Trey Watson, Trey yeah. Watson. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't, I don't, I, you did not see the, um, wide receiver from Cal, correct? Kim. Did not. Okay. As, so, by Jer- the way, as a party's a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's big. Yeah, and he's just 19, so he's got he's got he's got a ton of potential come you know coming out. So yeah. that is that is an interesting wrinkle though, guys. And I'm sure Michigan did the same thing, assuming that they're on quarters or whatever, to be able to have those guys have that experience. Like think about what the like a decorative graph or a Jason Robinson or one of these high school guys getting the opportunity to mark Demarcus Davis. You know, to be able to do that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, just looking at uh, Decker DeGraff, he's probably the one that hit, needs, of all of those guys, he's the one that needs to hit the weight room uh, the most. But I know that uh, you guys uh, heard Coach Sheridan rave about him. They really like Decker DeGraff, and he'll probably put on, tw- you know, 25, 30 pounds and be a beast. Yeah, he's he'll play next year, but I don't think he'll play that much. I think they'll try, try and just redshirt him and get him four games of experience. But – uh, no, his potential is huge. Um, he's he reminds me of Drew Sample. He, uh, I mean, I that's why I've compared him to. Maybe not quite the athlete Drew Sample was, but same kind of game. All right, we I got to wrap this up because they're kind of coming in. The cleaning crew's coming in. I'm afraid they're going to throw me away. So yeah, and you got to catch a shuttle. <laughs> yeah, uh, Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Wrap it up, man. Uh, an amazing magical season. Uh, it's too bad it had to end this way, but um, I think Washington has every right to to um be really happy with what happened even though they're upset about the final result of tonight's game but this season has been amazing for the huskies it's been amazing for building the fan base think of how many kids are are going to grow up and say i remember that year when they almost won the national title you know and <clears throat> that was something that basically was me in 19 was in 1978 when uh they went to the Rose Bowl, and um, that hadn't happened in a long time for the University of Washington. And so this is just going to build the fan base. It's going to put it's put Washington right right in the middle of things. They they and Michigan have been the talk of college football for the last week, and really for the last month. They Michigan, Texas, and Alabama have been the talk of 
of college football. So it's been great for the program. Um, I think things only get better from here. They might take a step back next season. Who knows? I, I got to believe that it's going to be tough to build to top what they did this year unless they win the national title. So um, they might take a step back next year. But uh, the the trajectory for the Husky football program is definitely definitely up. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Yeah. How to wrap up a season like that. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think about. And I really do hope that Washington fans, you know, whether it's tomorrow when the sun comes up or the rest of the week, I hope they really do kind of come around and, and really um, appreciate what this team was able to do to go 14 and one, you know, first time that's ever happened in school history. First time they've ever played for an undisputed national championship in program history. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. It's disappointing. Um, and there's a lot of angry Washington fans out there. I guarantee you right now, but um, at the same time, you know, you got, you got to tip your hat to Michigan. I mean, they were the better team on both sides of the ball. It's weird because this, this scoreline it, in, uh, in one sense, it flatters Michigan because of the way they got to the score. And on the other hand, it really doesn't because they really were that dominant on both sides of the ball when you really break it down. And um, the margins were fine tonight. And, uh, and, and the more they confused and frustrated Michael Penix, the more it showed and the more, I wouldn't say desperate Washington had to become on offense, but they certainly were starting to shut things down more and more as the game went on. And that was, that was easily visible. So congratulations to Michigan. They deserved it. They were the clear number one team tonight. And, uh, but you know, what's interesting in October, they meet again at Husky stadium. And that is crazy to even think about it, it, It's yeah. They, they meet in October in Seattle. And so, for that, uh, you know, that's going to be a really, really interesting game with a lot of connotations. But as you said, Kim, got a lot of things going on with NFL implications, with guys leaving to go pro or staying. You've got Kalen DeBoer's contract extension out there in the wind. How is Washington going to finish out their recruiting class? And we, we aren't even talking about all the other stuff that's going on with basketball and everything else. So this is, this is the time to still be on dogman.com because I know there's disappointment and frustration right now. But come tomorrow morning, we're going to still be cranking out a lot of great stuff for you. And the future looks incredibly bright for Washington football. With everything that's going on, we've extended the promotion for another week. So uh, 60% off your annual subscription to dogman.com. If you're not a member, do it. Just do it. Uh, It's well worth it. And the people that subscribe, our retention rate is incredibly high. People don't leave us. So, you know, somebody said, yeah, people don't leave you, Kim. They die, you know, so. Uh, but it's, we're done with football guys. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I can't, the number of times we've had to go up to, um, Husky stadium for press conferences, we've got basketball on, you know, still ongoing with a game Thursday night, but, um, yeah, we're done. This is a special, special team. We've been doing this for a long time. Chris and Scott doesn't get any better than this. This is why we do it. So, uh, we not only do it for this, but just all of our amazing subscribers and posters on the boards and everybody support us and just I've had a lot of people come up to me and just say we appreciate what you guys do uh more so than any other time that we've done this I've had more people come up and just say hey tell Fetters and Scott you know what a tremendous job they do so hey Kim real quick we still think that Washington's going to split up their spring ball right just like they did last year who knows Spring, spring football might start in less than 60 days who knows? But I got five minutes to catch the shuttle, so we got to wrap this up. I got to get okay. Down. Let's go get downstairs. So, for all of us at Dogman.com, 
I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.